bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacies. Live in Word with Pastor Mensa Oteville. And now, today's word. Taking a trip with Jesus, and this is part two of Taking a Trip with Jesus. My subtitle is Convicted. In part one, we talked about the confused disciples. And this is the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus. On resurrection morning, two disciples of Jesus, confused about the events of the day. And whilst they were talking and and wondering the meaning of everything that has happened, trying to process what has happened, Jesus himself joined them on their journey and in their conversation. Jesus showed compassion to them and asked them what's going on. And they began to narrate all the things that have gone on and their confusion. And the heart of what they said was that they, 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 they were confused because they thought Jesus was going to be something else. But he hasn't managed to be that. They were expecting a political messiah. And they couldn't believe that the Romans would kill the messiah. And then they said they, the thing that really got to them was that the message of the resurrection was announced by women. They couldn't get over that. It was a cultural barrier. And after that, Jesus spoke to them. And today we're going to look at what Jesus did after their narration. So, we're going to consider the main things that Jesus did after the two disciples had narrated their view of the events of the resurrection day them. The first thing Jesus did is he rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them. The same Jesus who is compassionate is also firm. And that is something we have to know about the Lord, that he is compassionate, he is loving, but he rebukes foolishness. So we cannot say that God loves us so much that when we are foolish, he will still keep us foolish. When, when God loves us and we're going wrong, he will correct us. And he will correct our wrong. He disciplines the child whom he loves. If you don't experience God's discipline in your life, it may be that you have just gone way outside of his will that when he speaks to you, you don't hear. But if you're really walking with God and you are walking wrongly, He's going to rebuke you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to correct you. And that's what Jesus did to these disciples. He rebuked them. And uh, the interesting thing is at this time, the disciples did not know it is Jesus. So it's like a stranger walking with them who rebuked them. I've always wondered why didn't they fight him back? But something probably inside them felt this is an unusual personality walking with us. So... Luke chapter 24, 25 to 26. Luke 24, 25 and 26. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? O foolish ones. Jesus says that, uh, they were foolish. What did he mean by that? He meant first that they were shallow-minded and childish. 
They were shallow-minded and childish. That's what Jesus meant when he said he was foolish. It's not an insult as Ghanaians would use foolish to mean. But if you look at the word he means, it means you are thinking like babies. You are not thinking correctly. You are shallow-minded. You are small-minded. You are thinking like infants. You are not thinking like mature people. They only had a superficial understanding of what Jesus came to do. And they didn't pay attention to Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we can be so preoccupied with what we expect God to do, that even when he's doing something, we don't see what he's doing because of what we expect to do, him to do. And this is a warning for us that we can be so preoccupied with our view of who God is, that even when he's working, we don't see it. This is Jesus walking amongst them. It's been reported that he's resurrected. But their view is that Jesus should go and fight the Romans. So can you imagine, <clears throat> none of the miracles of Jesus meant anything to them. Jesus heals the sick, yeah, not bad. Raises the dead, okay. Raises the dead, walks on water, okay. He wants to walk on water, that's fine, that's up to him. Feeds 5,000, that's okay. Because what they expect is he must go and get the Romans out. That's what they expect the Messiah to do. He must get the Romans out of Israel. And so everything else he does, doesn't matter. And these are disciples of Jesus. They follow him. If you saw them, you think these are genuine people. But what they're expecting is very different from what God wants to give to them. And that's a warning to us. That sometimes we come to God expecting something. And he may be doing his work, but we don't see what he's doing because of our expectation. We expect him to do something for us in a particular way. And if that particular thing is not done, we never see the hand of God. And that's the problem with these disciples. And Jesus called that foolishness. I'm sure if he was in Ghana today, he would call a lot of us foolish people. Foolish people who go to prayer meetings. Foolish people who are praying and fasting. Because he's working, they can't see it. Because they are fixated on something, only one thing he must do. He must answer my prayer this way. And if he doesn't do it this way, then he's not working. And Jesus called that foolishness. They were shallow-minded and they are childish people. And then Jesus said also that they were slow to learn and to believe the truth. Slow to learn. They were dull. They wanted God to minister to them, give them something, bless them in a certain way that they could never enjoy his presence. You know, sometimes we can be so fixated with our need for God to give us something that even the presence of God is not important to us. I remember when our children were very young, and I'm sure they wouldn't like me to tell the story because they are adults with children too. But when they were like their children, 
I would travel out. You know, I, I used to take a lot of trips, and normally, you know, I would take a trip and uh, I would go and and shop. You know, and if you've been a parent, uh, you know that much of what you buy is for your children. So your suitcases are all for the children. You're buying toys and clothes which they outwear every time, and and so whenever I return from a trip, the children are excited. Daddy has come, and they come. And, and they come to the bedroom, and the bags are there. And they are pulling the suitcase. Daddy, open! Daddy, open! Daddy, open! And then I open it and start distributing the gifts. And they are so excited. And when the gifts are over, they run out of the bedroom. So, what kind of children are these? They don't want me. They don't miss me. I've traveled. They didn't say, we've missed you. We want to spend time with you. Oh, when you are away, this is what we, uh, we did for you. Nothing. Just get gifts and run away. So, being a smart man, I learned an antidote. So, anytime I would travel and I'll return, and the children will come. Would, they'll come, daddy, and they're happy, and I'm also happy. And they're looking at the suitcase. I don't open it. Daddy, daddy, daddy. They, hold, they spend the whole night in the bedroom. I don't open the suitcase. I open it the next day. So they have to learn to be in my presence and enjoy my presence. So, do you think maybe sometimes God also catches up on us as children? He says, these people, oh, the reason why they go to church and come for all our prayer meeting is because they want this and the moment they get it, they are leaving. So, no suitcase will be open. I'm shutting the suitcase, come to church, be at a prayer meeting, be in my presence, enjoy my presence. And when I think you love me and you know how to be in my presence, I will open the suitcase. That's how you treat children. And that's how Jesus called these people children too, shallow minded. You only want something from me that you can't even recognize when I'm in your presence. Do you recognize when God is in your presence? Do you love to be in his presence? Do you consider his presence as everything more than anything you are believing him for? Because that's what adult Christians do. The presence of God is heaven to us. And being his, in his presence is everything that we desire. May we get to the point where the presence of God gives us the fullness of satisfaction more than any miracle he can hand over to us. So Jesus calls them slow to learn. They can't believe and it's because they are children. And then after he's rebuked them, the second thing he did is that Jesus taught them. He taught them. He became their instructor. Jesus did not leave them rebuked. He went ahead to teach them. Verse 27, Luke chapter 24. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I love this verse so, so much. Jesus is the word of God. He's the word of God manifested. The word of God doesn't manifest. It doesn't need the written word. Because the written word came from him. 
But Jesus, although he's the word of God, subjected himself to the scriptures. To the word of God. He used scripture as the basis for instruction. He used scripture as the basis for instruction. You know, Christianity is not about how powerful a servant of God is. It's about the power of the word of God. And the scripture is our foundation. I, I had a story years ago of a particular church leader in this country years ago. He asked his members some time ago to bring all their Bibles. And everybody, they all brought their Bibles. And he collected the Bibles from them, burnt the Bibles into ashes, took the ashes, mixed it with water, and drank the ashes. And he said to them, from now on, the word is inside me. You don't need any Bible again. What I say is the word I have drank, which is coming out of me. And the people actually believed it. You know, ignorance is a very, very infectious disease. And sometimes it can infect some people who are very, very smart. And Christians who are supposed to know better can believe that. Jesus is the word of God. John said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then he said the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This word of God is talking to his disciples. He could have said, hey, I am he. But that's not what he does. He goes back to scripture. Any teaching that is not truly grounded in scripture is not valid. It's not about experience. It's not about I saw a dream. I saw a vision. The Lord told me at midnight. I woke up at three and the Lord says, my child, let me tell you this. That is not scripture. Scripture is written. And until Christians get to know that even the word of God subjects himself to what is written in scripture. We would not understand what the basis of our faith is. And the passage says he begins from Moses. What does that mean? Beginning from Moses basically is beginning from what is called the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's where he begins from. This was some kind of a Bible study. Jesus is leading a Bible study with two participants. And he starts from Moses. So you can imagine, he starts from Genesis. He says, do you remember when the serpent uh, deceived Adam and Eve? Do you remember the prophecy, the seed of the woman? And then he'll go to Exodus. And then he'll go to Leviticus. He'll go to Numbers. He'll go to Deuteronomy. Moses, he went to the prophets. Do you remember what Isaiah said and what Ezekiel said and what Jeremiah said and what David said and all of these things? And he's showing them from the scriptures systematically, systematically. That is what is called biblical theology. It's books taking a systematic approach 
to teaching the truth of God, not from one verse in the Bible, but across the biblical revelation. So Jesus is saying, what I'm teaching you is not just one isolated verse. It's all through from Moses right through the prophets. Now you have to understand that the Jews divided the Bible into three main components. What they call Moses or the law and then what they call the prophets and what they call the writings. And so in Jewish theology, the law, Moses and the prophets are the two critical ones. The writings are nice, they are good, uh, but they didn't consider them as important for grounding of theology. For example, if you read the book of Proverbs, you read some nice things there. But if you want to teach biblical theology, you don't teach it from Proverbs. You teach it from the law and from the prophets. And that's what Jesus is doing. So he's establishing the foundation of the faith. And he teaches scripture as the basis of instruction. That's a very important thing for all of us pastors. We ground our faith in the scriptures. Then he did something very, very unique. He pointed to the centrality of Christ in scripture. He pointed to the centrality of Christ in the scripture. Because he says he taught from all those things the things concerning himself. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying all scripture points to Jesus. All scripture points to Christ. Scripture does not point to us. It points to Jesus Christ. Scripture is about Jesus Christ. We can take encouragement in scripture. For example, you read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's nice. You see yourself as the sheep. So the I shall not want is more important to you than the Lord is my shepherd. Is that not so? Because we, we are the ones, we like that I shall not want. He leads me beside the still. We like that beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Leads me the path of righteousness. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. That's all good. But all of that is possible because the Lord is my shepherd. Alright? So you can, you can talk about all the things. If you miss the Lord is my shepherd, then there will be no table prepared before you. Because table is prepared for you because you acknowledge the Lord is my shepherd. Until you see Christ as the foundation, you miss your Bible study. It's not about you and what you want and your need and your good feeling. It's about Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. So he teaches them all the things about himself. Not about the disciples. When we read the New Testament, there are some fantastic things said about us as believers. We are the head and not the tail. We are more than conquerors in Christ. But all of that is possible because the Lord is our shepherd. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. He's until you get him as who he is, the benefits do not flow. 
I like the hymn, praise God from whom all blessings flow. All blessings flow. And so when Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching about himself. Christ is the center of the scripture. Any biblical teaching that is not Christ-centered is not Christian. Is not Christian. Because the center of Christianity is Jesus Christ. I've said it here, I think during the Easter. I said the center of Christianity is not even the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus are important. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, first me before my words. Until your faith is in the person of Jesus Christ, his word will mean nothing to you. In Christianity, our faith is not just in the words of Jesus Christ. We love his words and we, we are instructed by his word, but in his person. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching about himself. The centrality of Jesus Christ. That he is eternal. The eternal self-existing word of God. He is the one who was born of the Virgin Mary. He died for our sins. He rose again from the dead. He is ascended to heaven. He is the Lord over all things. At the mention of his name, every knee bows. That's Christianity. And faith in Christ is what gives us the confidence to even study his word. But if you miss Christ, you miss his words. And the more I grow in my Christian life, the more I, I become very particular about Jesus Christ and keeping him at the center of our faith. And that is what Jesus is doing. He could have taught anything about any subject, but he taught them, beginning from Moses, all the scriptures about himself. The Old Testament points to Jesus Christ to say he's coming. The New Testament points to Jesus and says he has come. One says he's coming, the other says he has come. And in the middle is Jesus Christ, the coming one who came. And that's what the Bible is all about. The one who is to come, who came. And in the middle of it, both Old and New Testament, stands the man Jesus Christ. And that is why we are called Christians. We are not called Elijahites. They are not called Jeremiahites or Davidites. There are people who quote about Jeremiah and Elijah and this happened to Elijah and David curses enemies and so, you know, and, 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 and they forgot Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about David. It's not about Elijah. It's not about Jeremiah. It's about Jesus. 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 Let's keep him at the center of our faith. Thank God. And whatever we desire must be Christ-centered. So Jesus taught them. I wish we were in that Bible study. Don't you wish so? You and Jesus alone. Walking for seven miles. And he teaching you. And going from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers. 
to Deuteronomy, to Joshua, to Judges, to Ruth, to First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and then goes on and on to Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and goes on and on. And he says, you know what? Everything is about me. The visions of Daniel about me, visions of Ezekiel about me, the actions of Esther about me. Everything is about me. And that is how we study the Bible. We see Christ throughout the scripture. That's how he taught them. And then after he taught them, something very interesting happened. He stayed with them. Jesus stayed with them. Luke 24, 28 to 29. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. You know, at this point, I think they are beginning to suspect something unusual is going on here. It, by this time, but they dare not settle that it's Jesus because they still have problems of the, about the resurrection. But they just know something is going on. This guy we are talking to is unusual. Later they said, whilst he was talking to us, our hearts burned within us. So they knew there's something unusual about this guy they can't figure out. Now, this conversation started by Jesus joining them. They didn't invite him. And he joined them. And then when they got to a junction, he decided, we've gotten to this point. I have taught you all of this. This is where you were going in the first place. You're going to Emmaus. But I can move on. He gave them the chance to choose him. He came first without them choosing him, but for faith to work, they have to choose him for themselves. And that's what Jesus did. You know, there are many times God will supernaturally do something for you. Even when you haven't prayed, he does it for you. But he will bring you to the higher level where he wants you to believe him for something. He wants you to choose him. He wants you to be active in your faith. Sometimes people pray for you and things happen. Your mother prays for you, your grandmother prays for you, and, and you're experiencing God and you're so happy that you have a praying mama or your pray, praying sister. But after some time, the Lord is going to say, you have to learn to choose me for yourself. Not your wife's prayer, not your mama's prayer, not your papa's prayer. It's your own prayer. And that's why he's bringing these disciples. I joined you by myself. But if you don't choose me, I move on. If you choose me, I stay. So, that's what happened. The disciples arrived at that place. The disciples arrived at a decision point. Two points to note here. The disciples have arrived at where they are going. Jesus is moving on. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had told his disciples, 
when he sent them out to preach. He says, wherever you go, when you are accepted, stay. When you are not accepted, move on. That's what he's practicing. If you accept me, I stay. If you don't, I'm moving on. Maybe somebody prayed for you to experience God's power. And that's good. But now you have to learn to pray for yourself to experience God's power. Maybe you went to a pastor and the pastor prayed for you and miracles happened. And you have come to associate your faith to that pastor and his prayer. But you get to that point where God is telling you, choose me for yourself. Pray yourself. Ask me yourself. And that's what these disciples did. They were at the point of decision. And they invited Jesus Christ. I like that. They invited Jesus to stay with them. They said, the pastor said, they constrain him. It means they urge him strongly. Lord, stay with us. Abide with us. The same Greek word that is translated as stay with us is the same Greek word in John 15 when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Lord, stay with us. And Jesus accepted their invitation. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mensah Otebe, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensah Otebe. Email otebe at centralgospel.com or call plus 233-302-688-000.